How are you out there? Amen. Isn't it great to worship the Lord together? You know, I don't know if you're bored with worship on earth, heaven's going to be tough because we're going to have some extended worship sessions up there. And uh, we're practicing for heaven when we worship the Lord. So let's get our Bibles out tonight. We're in the book of Ephesians, preaching through the first several chapters of Ephesians. We're in chapter 3 tonight. I'm going to read to you verses 10 through 21. We're going to cover some ground tonight. A um, lot going on here in chapter 3. We've made uh, several installments on it already, and we're getting through, but... Uh, Get your finger in verse 10 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to thank God for this opportunity tonight. And then we're going to pray and thank him for the word. Amen. What a treasure we have in the word of God. Amen. A blueprint for living, an answer to every question of our heart, revealing Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. That's the word. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God, this treasure you have given us 66 books that declare your glory, that reveal Jesus Christ from cover to cover. Father, you answer the questions of our heart. You give us principles to live by. You've laid out a blueprint for how the righteous should live as we walk on this earth. So, Father, tonight by the Holy Spirit, open up the word to us. Open up these writings here that you poured through your servant, the Apostle Paul, and allow them to challenge us and stretch us. And allow us to grow from just hearing the word. Father, we try to change ourselves in so many ways, but it's all temporary. Only the word changes us for eternity. So we're glad to sit under it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. So that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to come become discouraged about my tribulations in your behalf, since they are, since they are your glory. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we have a lot of verses there. Paul is kind of uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to pour through them, and he's He's laying out principles here. There's a prayer that's contained in these verses, and we're going to take a look at all of it starting in verse 10. So verse 10 starts off by getting us to focus on what this incredible shift in the kingdom of God 
has effectuated. That shift is that now the Gentiles are included and they can be part of the family of God. Uh, the fact that this has happened is attributed to the wisdom of God. You say, how did this happen? How did the paradigm shift? How did it go from just the Jews being the chosen people to salvation being available to everyone who draws breath on the earth? How did that happen? Well, it happened by the wisdom of God. It was always planned. It was always part of his purpose, yet man didn't discern it because it wasn't revealed. Look what the text says in verse 10. So that the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. What a powerful verse that is right there. Honestly, we could camp out for a long time there. And just to do it justice, I'm going to spend some time. But God's wisdom is multifaceted. Now, his wisdom was including all of mankind in his plan of redemption. That came as a surprise to all the nations, to the Jews, and to everyone else. He now includes all mankind in the plan of salvation through the cross, and that has been revealed to both the people of God and those who are far away from the kingdom of God. Now, it's a beautiful and brilliant plan. Nobody's excluded. Salvation is now for everyone, and that's a total game changer. So what does it mean when the text says here that God's wisdom is multifaceted? Simply that what God is doing through the new covenant now is not one-dimensional. Uh, it affects every spectrum of creation. And, you know, th this is kind of hard sometimes to wrap your head around. We want to read through stuff quickly and just kind of keep going. You know, you see that word multifaceted, but what does it mean there? And it's referring to God's wisdom. Well, everything that God's doing in the new covenant, it doesn't just affect one dimension. It doesn't just affect the Gentiles. It doesn't just affect the Jews. It affects every part of creation. It's a broad effect. It's a multifaceted effect, and it is a game changer. In his wisdom, including all of mankind in the plan of salvation, changes society. It changes the spiritual realm. It changes everything. Everything is changed. Now, you say, well, what is this like? Well, it's much like sin. Uh, when sin entered into the equation of earth, sin affected every part of creation. You know that, don't you? Sin didn't just affect one part of creation. It affected every part of creation. It affected nature. The lion used to lay down with the lamb before sin entered the equation. Now, a lion sees a lamb, and he thinks, lamb chops. Okay? And some of you still won't smile. Creation's affected. Uh, the ground used to produce beautiful fruit. Adam and Eve walked through the garden. They tended the garden, beautiful fruit. Now the ground is cursed by sin, and it produces thorns and thistles. If you work the ground, if you till the ground, if you walk through the woods, if you walk through a field, there's literally parts of creation that will tear the flesh off your body. What's that from? What's that all about? What are, why are mosquitoes here? What's the per a direct result of the fall? I guarantee you in heaven we won't be going. No, that, that came as the effects of sin affected creation. Uh, sin affected mankind. It affected every relationship. So sin had this negative effect that touched every part of what God made, the animal kingdom, the earth, man, everything. And in the wisdom of God and his grace, he now has poured out the opposite effect in pouring out grace and mercy upon the nations and upon the lost. Do you see how this works? 
Where sin abounds, grace must more abounds. Amen. How sin entered through Adam, it was destroyed through Jesus Christ. But these things are multifaceted in, in their effects. And sin affected everything, but now God's grace has affected everything. Amen. What's happening there? God is redeeming everything that was destroyed and distorted by the curse of sin. He's redeeming it, and eventually he will restore it completely till we will live and walk and move in his presence as if it was the Garden of Eden all over again. Come on, that's a good hope. Sin's effects will be removed. God's wisdom is multifaceted. His grace and his new covenant has affected everything. Look, uh, the latter half of verse 10, I call it verse 10b. It says, God's wisdom, which was hidden through for centuries, is now made known. Look what it says here. And the authorities in heavenly places. So God's wisdom is made known to the church, but it's also made known to the earthly rulers of this world that we live in here. Do you know, no one can really say, according to Romans 1, that there's no God and I don't believe in creation and we, we're just a big accident. We came from monkeys. You know, Romans 1 says that nobody really can say that because creation itself testifies that there is a God. That when man looks at the water and the oceans and the mountains and the valleys and space and the stars, there is a testimony that cries out that there is a God who created it all. Now, man in hardening his heart can say, I don't believe that. And that's a choice. But the Bible says there is an inner witness that testifies of the creator and of the creation so that no one will be innocent of rejecting God. And here we are where it says here, and the authorities in heavenly places. Now, yes, uh, the wisdom of God, the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ has affected the church. Uh, but those in positions of earthly leadership and authority, to some degree, are kept in check by the spiritual authority of the church. Now, as much as the world likes to pretend that this doesn't happen, the church is in the earth to affect society, culture, governance, all of these things. We're not supposed to shut up and be quiet and sit in the corner and not have a voice in the public square. That's a weak clap. If you, we're supposed to make a difference. Thank you, Steve. Salt and light, amen? The world says, you Christians are antiquated. Your ideas are antiquated. We don't like what you think. It's not politically correct. Sit down, shut up, and we don't want to hear it. And some of you have listened. But that's not what God expects us to do. The church is to keep the rulership on earth in check. Now, how do we do that? By the presence of the Holy Spirit that's within the body of Christ. It actually restrains the wickedness that's on the earth. To some degree, it does, okay? When the church is removed and God takes the church and raptures it and takes it up into heaven, the Bible says that the restrainer will be removed and then it will literally be seven years of tribulation, hell on earth. Come on, I wish there were some Christians here that knew the Bible. This isn't new stuff. 
This is what I've been preaching for years here. This is what the Bible says. And so, you know, the church restrains the state to some degree. The state doesn't want to be criticized by the church. It doesn't want to be called out for its inhumanity, its injustice, its immorality, its ethical violations. To some degree, they can say we don't matter, but the truth is that the righteous restrain and hold back the wickedness. Now, if you, if you look around and say, man, I don't know how good a job we're doing, it just shows the hardness of this generation's hearts. That in the face of the restrainer, they kick against it, and they say it's antiquated, and they want to be freed from the constraints of it, but God won't allow it. Why? Because the authorities are affected, and even the, those in the heavenly realm, the kingdom of darkness is restrained by the kingdom of God. The children of God restrain wickedness. Come on tonight. We're not supposed to be wicked. We're not supposed to participate in wickedness. We are supposed to live in such a way that we shine a light on the darkness and dispel it. Well, I'll go on to verse 11. Verse 11 is an interesting verse. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this recalibration of everything, this uh, multifaceted wisdom of God that has affected every part of creation and changed the, the, the entire playing field has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished on the cross at Calvary. This is the only reason that there's a difference in the way God uh interacts with man in the way God offers salvation to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. Amen? And so, you know, the authorities are restrained. The wickedness is restrained. The church now walking in the fullness of the resurrection power that Jesus brokered through the cross and the empty tomb. It's all about Jesus, and we need to remember that. Verse 12 you know, continues here, and it says, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So look at that. Do you know something? We are the direct beneficiaries of what Jesus did on the cross. You say, all that, you know, what Jesus did and the resurrection and broke sin and uh, Yeah, you and I are the direct beneficiaries of it, amen? All of what he did was for us, and because he's chosen us and we've responded to him by making him Lord of our lives, now all of those benefits are ours. We benefit from what Jesus has done, amen? Such, a, such good news tonight on Wednesday in New Yorkistan behind enemy lines in the cold, with the prisons emptying and nobody going to jail for nothing. It's crazy out there. You say, well, I, I don't know, it, 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 you know, Pastor Rick, you know, can we still be blessed? Absolutely, because of what Jesus has done and because we're the beneficiaries of it. Look at, there are two things that, you know, translate into benefits for us. Number one, look what it says here in verse 12, that we have boldness and confident access through faith. So the first benefit is boldness. You know, what's that all about? That means we don't have to grovel and cower and try and come before God some way. We have access to come to him boldly and and, and walk into his presence. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has torn the veil in half, separated us from God. The holy of holies are now open, that we can come before him with boldness and call him Abba, Father. Woo! Come on. That's awesome. 
Nobody in the Old Testament had that benefits. They had to know him from afar. They had to know him through the veil. They had to experience him through the priests. Christ in me, the hope of glory, that I can come boldly before the throne of grace because God is my Father. Also, we have confident access to God along those same lines with that boldness of approaching him, and we have confidence in approaching him because of what Jesus has done, knowing that he's for us, that he's not going to reject us, that he's not going to forget us. God's not going to forget us, church. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how confusing it gets, no matter how many fall away, God is not going to forget his bride, the church. We have boldness and confidence. Verse 13, Paul makes a personal appeal to all the saints uh, who are discouraged. Now, look at this. This this, This is as real as it gets here. It should really hit us where we live. Therefore, I ask you, he's speaking to all of those in uh, the fledgling churches here that he's planted. He said, I ask you not to become discouraged about my tribulations in your behalf since they are your glory. So people were discouraged. Why? Because Paul, who had birthed these church, who had labored, who poured good theology and love and sound doctrine into them, Paul was now in chains and he's being persecuted by Rome, and, and they're looking at this guy who has poured into them and that they have a loving relationship with that's fed them the oracles of God and the sound theology, and they're like, he's in chains, he's in prison, they're going to kill him. And they were upset about it. And Paul says, don't, don't be discouraged about my chains, about my bondage, about the persecution I endure because, listen, it's for you. It has a purpose. And understand something. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. There's two kinds of suffering. There's, There's redemptive suffering and there's foolish suffering. Paul was suffering according to the plan of God, and it was bringing redemption not only to his own soul but to the church. When we suffer foolishly, it's because we disobey God. But when we suffer because it's the plan of God, we shouldn't be discouraged about it. We should feel privileged that we are counted worthy to suffer for his name. Amen? Not much clapping for the suffering. Because, you know, we would rather just be blessed and be fruitful and multiply and and have abundance and, you know, have the rain pouring. But but suffering, that's, you know, that's something that we don't generally, you know, want to visit our life. But the truth is, Paul is suffering for the gospel's sake, and he's telling all the people who are in the churches, don't be discouraged. It, it's, it's, not, you know, it, it's not for nothing, it's for something. It has a divine purpose, and it will benefit all of you. Now, verses 14 through 19 here, I'm only going to go through 21, but 14 through 19 are, are, are pretty much a prayer. It's kind of like a running prayer that Paul prays and expresses by the Holy Spirit through his heart for the saints, and he wants them to be encouraged. He doesn't want them to be depressed or distressed. He wants them to be equipped to face hardships and discouragement with spiritual power and tenacity. See, right out of the box, we have to learn the Christian life is not an easy life. It's not all giggles and goosebumps and roses and, you know, spoonfuls of sugar. Anybody been serving Jesus for more than five minutes? You say, well, everything's good for me. You're probably lost. You need to get saved. Come see me after service. 
Because if you're saved, then the devil, you just got a target on your back and the enemy's gonna attack you with everything he's got all day long. And, you know, we're looking at this here. This is part of the issue is that the Christian life's not an easy life. So Paul prays this prayer for the saints and it's kind of a running prayer and it's to encourage them and to stir up some spiritual power in them and to give them a sense that they need to develop tenacity. What a powerful prayer this is here in these verses. It's not just for the Ephesians. It's not just for the early church. It's for all of us here today. You know why? Because all of us go through stuff. And all of us are going through stuff right now. And that's never going to stop until our hearts stop and we fall into the arms of Jesus. It's going to always be that way. So this is a relevant prayer because it's, you know, it means something for every one of us here today. All of us face what sometimes seems like a never-ending barrage of resistance and challenges and disappointments in life. Can anyone say amen to that? Now, I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture. I'm just trying to be real. You know, Sometimes we fall out of the frying pan just to get into the fire. And when we get over one hurdle, there's another one. And when we climb one mountain, there's a higher one behind it. And we knock one giant down and the devil sends two more. Now you're saying, Pastor, I came to church on Wednesday night. Don't, don't. Paul didn't want them to be discouraged. Why are you saying this to us? Because we can learn to find contentment and peace and joy even in the continuance of this resistance that we're certainly all going to face. This is what happens. You know, we are gonna, we're always going to have this resistance. We're always going to have these challenges. Why? It's just the way it is for Christians trying to live a godly life in a fallen world. We're, we're not of this earth. We're, we're of a different kingdom. We're children of the light, yet we live in gross darkness here in the earth as, as, as wickedness seems to prevail all of our institutions and all of our culture and, and all around the world. And, you, and, and more and more we feel out of step with what's going on in the earth. There's a polarization taking place between the righteous and the unrighteous. And we're going to face stuff and we're going to go through battles but it is so very possible to learn to use the spiritual authority we have and the equipping that God has given us to be able to maintain our joy, our purpose, and our peace no matter what's going on around us. See, this, this is not pablum Christianity. This is not baby Christianity. This is real, where the rubber hits the road, mature Christianity. Well, I don't want to learn how to deal with all the problems and face giants and stuff. I just want to be happy and have goosebumps. I want you to tell me nice things and make me laugh. But the truth is, we'll never grow up if that's the way our walk goes. God's looking to produce mature Christians, and nothing does that better than the resistance that the enemy brings. In fact, God uses the enemy like a pawn to put pressure on us, to perfect us, to turn the coal that's in us into diamonds. While the pressure, pastor, it's the only way to make diamonds. You say, do you like it? I don't like it, but it's the only way. I don't want to show up in heaven with a lot of coal. Amen. What do you got for me? Jesus says, I, I got coal. It's expensive. 
so the pressure and the resistance will always be there. We can maintain our peace. This running prayer is a powerful one, and it's to chase away discouragement. Paul didn't want it in the church then. God doesn't want it in the church now. Verses 14 and 15 start off this kind of running prayer with, uh, you know, a petition by acknowledging God as the creator. Look at Paul saying he bends his knee. He gives a humble prayer. Let's just take a look at 14 and 15 here. For this reason, I bend my knees. That's a good start. Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Listen, that he would grant, here's the prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. Wow. So Paul starts off his prayer by acknowledging God as creator. He starts off, you know, bowing before him, bending his knee in a posture of humility. And and that's a good pattern for prayer. Amen. Yes, we can come boldly before the Lord, but let's never forget that he's God. We should reverence him, amen? We should reverence his name. Do you know, we get so casual with the name of God that we actually use it in vain. Religious Jews won't even write the name of God. They'll hyphenate it, abbreviate it. They, they see it as too holy to write. Yet Christians who are in covenant relationship with God almost blaspheme his name the way we say it. So we should reverence God. We should bow before God. We should petition God from a posture of humility. And that's how Paul starts off. His his request for us in verse 16 is that God would grant inner strength to all the, the saints. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. Did you hear that? Paul's prayer starts off reverencing God and then concerning us requesting that God would grant us inner strength. And here's why. Because physical strength won't get us very far in spiritual fights. Let me say that again. Physical strength won't get us very far in spiritual fights. Some of us think we're going to make it by our grit, by our determination, by our perseverance, by our work ethic. And listen to me, that doesn't go anywhere in a spiritual fight. In a spiritual fight, you need inner strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to win the fight. Amen? So, you know, he says, I'm praying what? That you would have inner strength. None of us are here tonight because of our physical strength, our endurance, our mental toughness, our emotional grit. That is not what has held us together. We are here because we've been, as the verse says, strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. There's a mouthful there. There's a lot going on there. We're strengthened. What? His power, his spirit, the inner self. Spiritual power only comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Want to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Walk in the spirit, amen? Stay filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Uh, Labor in the spirit and seek the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's our source of spiritual power. A Christian that's not filled with the Holy Spirit is like a vacuum cleaner that's not plugged in. You ever push around a vacuum cleaner that's not plugged in? It's exhausting. I need one of those self-propelled ones, amen? My wife buys these vacuum cleaners. They're like 400 pounds. They look like R2-D2 with a handle on it. It's not plugged in. You can't even move it. You plug it in. It's got power. Things turn. It moves. It sucks up everything. The dog runs away. It's great. No power, 
no productivity. We need spiritual power. We need to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's praying, that you give him strength in the inner man. That, that idea of the inner self, it's an internal thing. We're going to that a little bit more. Verse 17 through 19 all flows together. Paul just, it's almost like he's riffing here. It's just pouring through him. He says this in 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. What a mouthful there in those verses. So so many moving parts. Uh, Christ has to dwell in our hearts. That's the only way that, you know, we can walk this Christian walk is that we have to have Jesus in our hearts. You say, well, how does Jesus get in our hearts and remain there? Faith. Faith is the only way. You, you can't get Jesus in your heart through your intellect. You can't get it by a working understanding of theology. Well, I, I know the theology and I know the scriptures and I can quote them, I can write them. No, at some point, it has to go beyond head knowledge, beyond intellectual comprehension. There needs to be a leap of faith that is made that we receive Christ in our hearts in a personal way. Come on, so many of us grew up knowing about Jesus, hearing about Jesus, going to churches that taught about Jesus, but we never knew him. But the moment we met him and he became real to us and we asked him into our hearts, our lives changed forever from that moment forward. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not a theological thing. It's faith. And that's what we have to understand. We start in faith. We continue in faith. We finish the course by faith. It's all faith. Are you seeing a pattern here? So how's your faith today? I hear crickets. How's your faith? How's your faith today? How focused were you on Jesus today? What did the Holy Spirit say to you in the secret place today? You're thinking, I, I didn't start talking to him until I got here in worship. And it's been a little quiet today. I've been preoccupied with all the things I have to do. You see, this is how we get aware of the fact that sometimes we're wasting time. Because we're not interacting with Jesus and our faith isn't growing. And we're going through the motions in life. And we're not doing bad stuff, hopefully. But we're not getting any closer to him and we're not growing. Amen. We start by faith. We continue by faith and we'll finish by faith. That's the pattern. The latter half of verse 17 speaks to our foundation as being a foundation of love. That's what this is all about here. So Christ may dwell in your hearts. How do you get him in there? By faith and you being rooted and grounded in love. This speaks to our foundation. Uh, Faith is the currency of the kingdom, which causes a spiritual growth, allows us to please God, allows us to increase Uh, our productivity in the kingdom, but all of it has to be done in love. We're rooted and grounded in love. The natural byproduct of genuine faith is a divine infusion of love. Hear that again. It's real quiet. The natural byproduct of faith is a divine infusion of love. The minute we come to Jesus and ask him into our lives by faith, he fills our hearts with love. And hopefully you've experienced this. 
Because before, you just maybe you, you like God or you like Jesus or you like church a little bit. But all of a sudden, when he became your Savior and your Lord, you absolutely fell in love with Jesus, the Savior of your soul. Are you in love with Jesus tonight? Are you in love with him? Because if not, we need to get the Holy Ghost jumper cables out. And we need to repent. We need to get right and fall in love with him again. He's our first love. And we need to keep that love hot so it doesn't get cold and we become lukewarm. Come on, Wednesday night. I'm preaching better than you shouting. You have a hard day? This is supposed to refresh you. You didn't have a hard day? Give me 50 push-ups. So it's love. Faith uh, we come to God in faith. He infuses us with love. Now we have a love for Jesus. And you know what? We have a love for each other. We love the body of Christ. We love each other. When, you, when we get around each other, our brothers and sisters, we fellowship. Why? Because we have this connection through Jesus Christ. He saved me. He saved you. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. We just have this harmony. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity infused with love where did that come from uh, you know there are people on the outside of the church and they'll say things like well i love god and you know i'm spiritual and stuff but i can't stand people and i don't like the church it's funny but we've all heard that before some of us had said that before oh I'm church i don't need church in my life people people i don't oh, i can't stand people i want to i want to live in a gated community i want a fence in front of my house not after Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. You love God and you love the church and you love the lost. And if that love is flickering or fading, we need to spend time on our knees in his presence till he fans it into a flame again. Amen. Amen. It's very important here. So it starts off by faith and it's, it's rooted in love. Love is our foundation. We have this divine infusion of love. Verses 18 and 19 show the progression of spiritual growth here. Uh, you know, this prayer it has so much good theology in it. Uh, 18 and 19 say that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. So it's a, a, corporate, it's a corporate thing. It comes from our unity and our connection to God. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth. So we understand the basic dimensions of the things of the kingdom. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Look at this here. This speaks of the foundation of Christian growth. Now, you say, where is it in there? I'm going to show you. Uh, the, the, we start off with faith in Jesus, and then he fills us with the love of God. In turn, now that we have faith and we have love for God for the church, and for the lost. Now, in turn, we have spiritual insight and understanding. Look, look what it says there, that we comprehend. So there's comprehension, that we know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. So we comprehend the things of the kingdom because we have faith and we're filled with love. Now, you say, I'm not quite sure if that's true. Well, I'm going to give you an example. Absolutely, it's true. People on the outside of the kingdom used to say things like, I don't understand the Bible. How many times have you heard that? 
well, you don't understand the Bible because you haven't taken that leap of faith and allowed God to fill your heart with love and the Holy Spirit residing in you to interpret this so that it makes sense to you so it gets past your head and into your heart and changes your life. Well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, get saved and get filled with the Holy Spirit and it'll make sense to you. People say, like, the gospel makes no sense to me. Get saved. Come to Jesus, and you'll comprehend. I don't get anything out of church. There are people who sit in church, and, you know, they're not born again. They don't have a real, genuine relationship with Jesus, and they're just going through the motions. And it's a ritual, and they'll even say, I don't get anything out of it. Come on, how many? I grew up in a church where, you know, even when I wanted to get something out of it, it was just a ritual, and there was no life in it. I couldn't get anything out of it. And I remember as a young boy saying to God, I'm not getting anything out of this. And he plucked me out of there and put me in a place where the word was being preached. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he revealed himself to me and produced faith in my heart and filled it with love and put the Holy Spirit in there. And all of a sudden, all of this made sense. This is where our comprehension comes from. If you're saved and you're born again and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you can comprehend the truth of God's word. You can hear the voice of God speak to you, amen? The word of God should come alive to you. When you open this up, it's alive. When you sit in church and hear the word, it comes alive. When you're worshiping God, you feel the presence of God. Come on, if you feel those things, thank God tonight for the gift that he's put in you, that you comprehend all these things. Oh, what a blessing. To come out of the dark and come into the light and have comprehension. And there's people out there, I don't understand the church. I don't understand the Bible. This doesn't make any sense to me. Take the leap of faith is what I say to them. And on the other side of that commitment to Christ, it'll all begin to make sense. Verse 19 reminds us that knowing the love of Jesus is what fills the holes in our heart. All of us have holes in our heart. In fact, it's been said before that all of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart. And guess what? The only thing that'll fill that is God. People try to fill it with so many other things. And it's, you're pounding the proverbial round peg in the square hole. It doesn't fill it up. It doesn't fit right. Well, I want to fill it with lust. I'm going to fill it with pleasure. I'm going to fill it with drugs. I'm going to fill it with alcohol. I'm going to drink myself happy. I'm going to get a pile of money and get all the things I ever wanted. Then I'll be happy. Come on, how many, how many of us have gone down some of these rabbit holes only to find out when you get to the place where you thought, this is where I'll be happy? You're not happy. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts, and only God can fill it. And this verse reminds us that Jesus fills the holes of our heart. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Amen. It feels good to be full. Ever sit at a table and eat a great meal and you're done and you sit back in your chair and your buttons are popping? You put your pregnancy pants on with a stretchy belly? I don't have a pair of those, as far as you know. Well, you eat a good meal and you're full and you're so satisfied. That's nothing in comparison to when God fills us how full and satisfied we can be. Amen. Amen. 
Let's stop wasting time chasing, you know, things that never fill us and fill ourselves with the things of God. Uh, Verse 20 through 21, sum up Paul's prayer. He kind of brings it uh, somewhat of a conclusion here. God is well able to do things for us that will literally blow our minds. You know, some of us have been walking with the Lord for so long, you think, man, I've seen it all, I've heard it all, I've heard every scripture preached, I've been to, you know, I've experienced the full gamut. The only thing left is for me to die and meet Jesus. Some, Some people feel like that sometimes. And the truth is, that's not the truth at all. He is enough to fill us and thrill us every day of our lives. And, you know, it doesn't stop when we step into eternity. Eternity is going to be just an ongoing discovery of the glory and the majesty of God as we bask in his presence forever and ever and ever. Some of us need to wrap our minds around that. Amen. There's going to be nobody who's bored in heaven. There's going to be nobody going, the Wi-Fi's out. You know, there's nothing to do. There, is there any movies on TV? No, there's nobody's going to be bored in heaven. Can somebody turn down this worship? When are they going to stop? Fill us and thrill us all the days of our life and for eternity, discovering the majesty uh, and the glory of God in his presence. Wow. So Paul's bringing this down here for landing, sum, summing up the prayer. He says, it's far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Now, that's quite a statement to say that, you know, what God has to offer, what God has to reveal, what God has to give is is bigger than what we can even imagine in our imaginations. How many of you have good imaginations? Some people are afraid to raise their hand. I got a good imagination. And how many can ask for big stuff? Oh, I don't want anything. You don't have to get me anything. Big list. I want this. I want that. You know, when God says, no matter how big it is, how, how big your list is, how, no matter how big what you're asking for is, no matter how creative, how lofty, it's nothing compared to what I have planned for you. Uh, it's going to blow your mind. It's not, you know, you, you have no idea. That's quite a promise. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says it like this. But just as it's written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. He's saying how, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. And you can't even fathom what I've got planned for you. I mean, sometimes I just need to dwell on this. If, you, if, you, if you're not getting this point, I'm going to stay here a while because it's encouraging me. Because I, I need this, amen, to, to realize that this isn't it. And all of the struggles and the turmoil and the, and the resistance that I face every day as a pastor in this dark world, that this isn't it, but there's a reward on the other side of this that, that cannot even be imagined how awesome it's going to be. God revealed that to us. We need it to chase away depression and discouragement and despair from our lives and give us the hope of heaven and the promises of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, 
can blow our minds according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So check this out as we bring it in for a landing. Uh, Verse 20b and 21 give us some insight into how God works in our life. He changes us, not from the external, but he changes us from the inside out. How do we grow spiritually? Well, I got to get it together. I got to get my act together. I got to get my outward together. You ever look at somebody and go, man, they don't have it together. You know, their clothes don't match. They, they, they button their shirt. They're two buttons off. The thing's crazy. They're, it looks like their hair. They combed it with the pillow. They're like, whoa. They don't have it together. What's that? We judge by the external. God looks at the inside. That person who looks disheveled and doesn't match, God could say, oh, they got it together. They love me. They're focused on me. They're thinking about me. They, They don't even think about how they look because they're so enthralled with me. We're the person who's got it all together and every hair in place and impeccable and dressed like a peacock. And inside... They're like what Jesus said to the Pharisees, sepulchers with dead man's bones. Moral rot. So God doesn't change our exterior. He changes our interior. He changes us from the inside out. Listen, according to the power that works within us. Where does it work? Where does it work? Within us, it's working on the inside, and on the inside is where we're changing so that eventually that'll be displayed on our exterior, but it's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out, because the power of God is working within us. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So our focus should be primarily on the internal workings of the Holy Spirit. What's going on in our lives? How's our faith, like I asked before? How's your prayer life? How's your passion for the things of the kingdom? Those are the internal things. Don't don't show me the impeccable dress and your Sunday go-to-meeting suit and your big Bible. It's exterior stuff. Oh, they're a Christian. Look at the size of that Bible. That's a 94-pound Thompson reference chain edition Jimmy Swaggart version. Comes with a leather cover and wheels and a back brace. They got it together. I'm working hard up here, trying to give you some joy. Laugh a little bit on Wednesday. It's internal. It's not external. Now, let me just point something out. The world looks at things the complete opposite way. They focus totally on the external, the outward facade, the physical body. Uh, Beauty is real important. Intellect, the vanity of success. The world is the direct opposite. We don't care what's going on on the inside. In fact, don't even tell us what's going on on the inside. We don't want to know. We just want you to look good, sound good, be smart, be accomplished, have a pile of money, look successful, be a billionaire, a gazillionaire, have your own rocket ship flying to space. That's success. Only if what's on the inside is alive in Christ. Only if the interior is filled with the spirit of God and not moral rot. We look at the outside. God looks at the inside. God's working on the inside so that we can change internally so that eventually we look like Jesus. Verse 21 closes down the chapter by giving all the glory where it belongs to God the Father. 
Remember the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ and his body, the church, is what brings glory to our Father in heaven. The church is supposed to bring glory to our heavenly Father. The body of Christ, as we worship the Lord, as we serve the purposes of God, as we preach the gospel, that brings glory to the Father by us accomplishing the will of God. God loves the church. The world hates the church. A lot of Christians are tired of the church, but Jesus will never give up on the church. It's the mechanism that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you today for this encouraging word from Ephesians, this prayer that you poured through Paul by the Holy Spirit that just uh, focuses on equipping us and encouraging us in Christ so that when we look at the hardships we face in this life, they would not be able to steal our joy. Father, I pray for every soul in this place within the sound of my voice that's beaten up, that's worn out, that's discouraged, that's given up hope, that's just treading water. Father, fan the flames of passion in our hearts once again that we would fall wildly in love with Jesus and the things of the world would grow strangely dim and the joy of the Lord would overtake us. I prayed in Jesus' name, amen.